0: But I just wish that pop was here right now to see this good crop that we finally got. Good God Almighty, man. <laughs> Will you look at them beans? Man, look at that cone. <laughs> and them watermelon must be in this three feet long. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> man, look at them
1: demands. Just look at them beans. Who is that covering Look at Them Beans?
2: Welcome, Welcome, Neil. Look at Them Beans is a cover.
1: This is hell. I guess it gets back to the history of Look at Them Beans. What is the history? The etymology, if you will.
2: Uh, It's actually uh, the original is a song by Joe Tex called Papa's Dream, which Johnny Cash covered and turned into Look at Them Beans.
1: So is Joe Tex version. Was that like on a 78? How old is that?
2: I'm trying to figure it out right now. I just found this information out, so I've been listening. <laughs> now I have two songs I listen to all day instead of just one. <laughs>
1: I bet there's an original version of it that's like from a 78 or on a wax cylinder by chance. <sighs> one crisis is bad enough, but right now we're facing four crises simultaneously. Lucky us. First, of course, there's the pandemic, coronavirus, which has already killed more than 2 million worldwide. Now has three new variants that are far more impervious to what vaccines we do have. There's, it's also more transmissible, these new variants, so we got that going for us too. Then there's the economic crisis of inequality that continues to get worse. And during the pandemic, that inequality is being revealed through the Rich being prioritized over the poor when it comes to who gets vaccinated Then we have our political crises that include police violence and mass incarceration Which protects property more than it does people Finally, there's the finality of our ecological crisis, and that is climate change Which has already taken countless lives, mostly because we're not counting But what if all these crises were in reality just one big crisis, a crisis we are unwilling to confront? That crisis is a crisis of priorities, of what we do put first, and all of our current crises are caused by putting profits before people. In a few minutes, we will have the return of writer, lawyer, and critical geographer Elliot Sperber, who posted the... Monthly review article, Four Crises, One Crisis, or the Health of the People. Elliot's work focuses on the historical and conceptual construction of spaces of justice and injustice. Elliot was on four years ago, almost to the day, back in January of 2017, to discuss his essay that had just been posted, The Concept of the Wall, which was published at Roar Magazine. You can follow Elliot on Twitter, Twitter, (laughs) Twitter Twitterer. On Twitter at Elliot_Sperber, I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gaptooth radio show podcast live stream host Chuck Mertz. Producing today's show is Alex Jerry. Alex, any plans for the weekend?
2: I can see if there's any other versions of the look of them beans I can add to my playlist. <laughs> uh, if I was a relief pitcher coming out uh, the bullpen, I'd come out to that song. It gets me unbelievably (laughs) hyped. I'm
1: so hoping that Devo covered it at some point. Uh, I don't have any plans for this weekend. Please rest. Because, Jesus Christ, uh, you can't make plans for this weekend. First of all, I've been sick like crazy. Uh, Then this weekend the temperatures are supposed to drop after we got over a foot of snow earlier this week and we're supposed to get another half foot to ten inches this weekend. And our car died. So I have no plans for this weekend because I don't think I can make plans for this weekend because I don't think we can do anything this weekend. More importantly, Alex, please remind us, what's this week's question from hell for our listeners and what is that loud rumbling sound? Is there a truck in the alley?
2: Hold on a second. You hear a rat loud rum?
1: You hear
2: that? Uh, is that a generator upstairs? I don't know what that is. Uh, you have better ears than everyone else. So I don't think anyone else can hear it. Uh, they're, they're, Chuck's not crazy. There is a loud rumbling sound somewhere in the background. This week's Question from Hell is, we're due for another mass cult movement, so what's their whole vibe going to be?
1: (laughs) The person with our favorite answer to this week's Question from Hell wins your choice of whatever This is Hell merchandise you want. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, where you will see all the ways you can contribute to completely listener-supported This is Hell. Remember, without you, we got nothing. So thanks to all of you for your support. I saw somebody posting uh, over the week that they were saying that they thought um, Patreon was a meritocracy, which doesn't really make sense seeing as how Patreon is a for-profit company. So I don't really know how Patreon could be a meritocracy. A meritocracy would just be people donating money to you without you having somebody who is in between you and the donor. So I don't really think Patreon's a meritocracy, but it's as close as I guess we can get within capitalism. Anyway, you can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, Facebook.com This Is Hell Radio. You can direct message it to us via Twitter at This Is Hell Radio. You can email it to either of us at chuck at thishell.com, alex at hell.com. But we must have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner, following Jeff Torchin in the Moment of Truth. During this week's Moment of Truth, Jeff sees the upside of the downside. Of success. Alex will have... Oh, Alex, do you have some of the answers right now for our listening audience?
2: Yeah, I got a ton. Sure. Uh, We also got Elliot on the line, so I'll read like 10 of them. All right. All right, so uh, we're due for another mass cult movement. What is their whole vibe going to be? Mike M says, Biden merged with AI and is fighting in virtual reality against AI from the future to destroy it and protect us. (laughs) All right. Matt M says, a homicide cult. (laughs) Uh, Warren L says, earthworms. I just think they're neat. Sadly, the schism over hermaphroditism will be very painful and will lead to centuries of sectarian violence with the pure earthworm followers relegated to an impoverished existence on useless desert lands. It will be totally worth it.
1: (laughs) I forwarded that to my sister. She'll look into this for us.
2: Chris S. says, buying a remote shack in Montana, living on $400 a year, and redacted. (laughs) Uh, Namda G. says, data cult. Everyone will dress like Back to the Future 2 and pay for everything in crypto. Caveats says the cult of personality disorder. Brayden S says the national treasure movies, rare earth minerals and incredible misogyny.
1: (laughs) All three are horrible.
2: George W says the cult of the line line go up celebrations and feasts ensue. Line go down. Flagellation and misery ensue. (laughs) Do you serve the line? Stay on the line. (laughs) Addy S says cult where we seize the means of production and decapitalize the rich. Terry C says as Walter... Is it? Be- it's not Benjamin, right? Benjamin. Sure. Okay. Walter- uh, Walt- as Walter B. says, as Walter B. wrote, capitalism is a cultic religion where there are no weekdays. Every day is a holiday. Mark A.S. says, driving up the stock prices for Panasonic, RCA, and Southwest Airlines. <laughs> and there's no Sylvania in there. Uh, Pete V. says, horny. Very horny. <laughs> and finally, and a lot of people got mad at me for not uh, saying it was QAnon. Sloan T. says, it's called QAnon.
1: <laughs> You're eyewitness to grief. This is Hell. Thanks to everyone who sent me get well soon wishes over the past couple of days. I'm still not feeling great. In fact, after the show, I'm going to go right back to bed because it seems like every muscle in my entire body is on fire right now. A year ago, Alex had a horrible chest cold that he thought might be pneumonia. Around the same time, contributor Brian Muir said he had similar health problems after the pandemic broke out. Both thought they may have already had COVID. A friend of mine was certain they got COVID and... April, another in May. Neither tested positive, but one did have antibodies. So at some point, one of them had COVID and didn't know about it. Daphne, one of our producers, she thought she may have had symptoms, but again, a false uh, self-diagnosis. So Tuesday morning, apparently, it was my turn to feel that something horrible was happening, and I decided to take no chances. So thanks to everyone who sent kind words about your concerns over my health. They are truly appreciated. Like I said, feeling better, but not great. In fact, to be honest, not good either Coming up, the many crises we now face may just be one big crisis We'll also have Jeff Dorchin and the moment of truth during this week's moment Jeff sees the upside of the downside of success Alex will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell Which is, we're due for another mass cult movement What's their whole vibe going to be? We're due for another mass cult movement What's their whole vibe going to be? Leave your answer to this week's question from Hell at our Facebook page, email it to us, tweet it at us, whatever, but we have to have your answer by the end of today's show. The person with our favorite answer gets your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want. Go to thisishell.com and click on support to see all the different ways you can support This Is Hell. Live from the nightmare of want, this is hell. Before the crisis of the pandemic, we were already facing the crisis of climate change. We are also deep into the political crises of mass incarceration and police violence, as well as the economic crisis of inequality. Here to help guide us through all our current crises and to tell us. How they may all be one big crisis returning to This Is Hell. Writer, lawyer, and critical geographer, Elliot Sperber posted the monthly review article for Crises, One Crisis, or the Health of the People. Welcome back to This Is Hell, Elliot.
0: Thank you. It's great to be back, and I'm glad you're feeling better, even though you're not completely feeling better. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. And by the way, I really appreciate the flowers and candy you sent. It was very kind of you. Oh, So, Elliot, my first question has got to be uh, since you were on, we had somebody on the show with the name Amanda Sperber. Any relation whatsoever?
0: None, no. Okay. I mean, not that I know of.
1: Okay. I just wanted to make sure because they were kind of, kind of from the same part of the world and everything, and I just wanted to make certain. So, you write while it is not clear how many people have lost their lives to COVID 19 in the United States, it is clearer than ever that we are experiencing a continent-wide public health catastrophe. Perhaps this is unsurprising. After all, the United States has a healthcare system designed not for the public good, but for private profit. A fundamental conflict of interest, the generation of profits by law, prevails over the provision of care and has resulted in fewer hospital beds over the years, lack of basic equipment, chronic understaffing, and other deprivations of care. All these cuts to public health account for why the pandemic has Devastated the United States while killing few people in places with robust public health infrastructure, such as South Korea. There's a running toll on what amounts to news on TV, and the numbers are always precise, seemingly exact, with no asterisk as to the number being an estimate and the total likely higher. What happens to the way we view the virus's deadliness? When we see these numbers reported in such an authoritative exact and precise way what happens when we underestimate that number the deadliness of the virus
0: well i I think it there's been a widespread kind of numbing to the whole thing to a certain degree people are just in shock and maybe this is even a condition of modernity. Some would 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 argue, and you mentioned Walter Benjamin just a couple minutes ago, and he writes, and I can't remember exactly and how he phrases it, but ultimately there's a condition of modernity that's just kind of constant shock at at you know this could be, you know novelty, the news cycle, the generation of of new commodities and uh, fashion, and all of these different sorts of things that are endlessly being produced and that that's the thing that you know this society does capitalism it just endlessly generates quantity and quality is something that really isn't given much value uh you know things are built to fall apart and uh you know so there's a quantification that almost takes the place of of, of quality or, or or value or, or meaning. And so, you know, you have stock, the stock market, you have measuring all of these different things, you know, death of, you know, people now, no one knows what it is for sure, except that it's some sort of staggering number that has become just abstract. And I think that's a part of like a shock and numbing, uh, normalization of, of these, these crises that, you know, maybe I don't know when one would even begin to date the, the emergence of, 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 all of these crises, but, but it, you know, certainly predates what we'd, we'd call globalism. And, you know, it's, it's indistinct from imperialism and even, you know, arguably it's inseparable from, from civilization itself. You know, that, that's my rambling response i don't know if i went
1: too far out with that (laughs) you didn't but it did make me think of the way in which the number of deaths have been reported and how they've been reported when we've had other crises i can't help but think how the estimated number of people who died on 9-11 that constantly decreased in the media the first day i think dan rather the first few moments dan rather said 30 to fifty thousand probably died in the world trade center Yet when it comes to Katrina and the virus, the focus is on confirmed cases, not estimates that drop. And instead, those numbers were constantly increasing with Katrina. We never got a final death toll on how many people died from Katrina. So do you think the media focus on the estimated number to have died on 9-11 and every day that estimate was uh, decreasing? And the media's alternative focus on only confirmed cases in situations like Katrina and with the virus do you think that reveals anything about the way the news media covers the news or covers these kind of crises when they have these really high estimates for nine eleven, They don't have high estimates for Katrina. They don't have high estimates for COVID, or they did, but they were much lower and they only focused on confirmed deaths. Does that reveal anything to the media about the media to you?
0: Well, I think it reveals a ton about the basic conflict of it. I mean, I mentioned and you mentioned you know this conflict of interest that's intrinsic to uh healthcare when it's for profit but you have a similar conflict of interest in the news and journalism because these are institutions that are designed to make profit and they're also designed to uphold and legitimize the entire society so uh, it seems totally consistent You know, with with that, which is their own self-interest in creating a narrative that downplays certain things like its failures and then also amplifies or exaggerates things that are in its interest like waging war as, you know, the case for 9-11 or just increasing uh, social control in, in, in some way. So that seems to be a consistent type of, I wouldn't say necessarily a strategy, but a phenomena that one encounters in the corporate press.
1: And as you write, the generation of profits by law prevails over the provision of care in the United States. Uh, We recently spoke with political theorist who was recently on, and she pointed to the lawlessness of the law, how the law often allows for and makes much criminal behavior, immoral, unethical behavior, legal. How would you describe the impact of the law on public health via health care? Is it, in a way, criminal?
0: Well, it's interesting because the concept of law itself, and this is reflected in just even uh, the imagery of law, like the two tablets of, of, of Moses, things like this, there's always this duality or, uh, double with within law of you know. On one hand you have law, and on the other hand you have justice. On one hand you have Martin Luther King uh, writing from the Birmingham jail saying you know the unjust law is no law at all, and you know he's citing Augustine, and uh, this you know goes back you know not it's not just in Greek thought and in you know Jewish thought, but it seems to be sort of a civilizational conflict in the, in, in the concept of law uh, or in Antigone and Sophocles, uh, there's the same kind of conflict like, Oh, Antigone is breaking the law of, of Creon of the King, but she appeals to this kind of this code, this, uh, you know, code of heaven or heavenly code, or however it's phrased, which is unwritten, you know, so there's the written law and the unwritten law. Uh, interestingly, the code, you know, this may go too far out, but code comes from the word codex, which in Latin is the tree trunk. And, you know, you have these two trees that sort of mirror the, the two trees in the Garden of Eden, where you have a tree of life, which I would argue is sort of represents justice and change and, and movement and flexibility, a living law. And then you have the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, which is rigid and dogma. And, you know, it just instills fear. You know, so you have this, relationship in in law as on one hand law on one hand justice throughout and and you know this society you know is you know has all of these lofty kinds of meta norms of you know equality and justice and you know perfect union and all of these things that are supposed to justify the particular written law and sovereignty but as we've seen you know throughout this this Country's history, you know, justice has always been, uh, at best, an afterthought, and or, or, you know, something that has people had to struggle to to achieve. Whereas the the just regular function of of law, the administration of law, is you know part of political economy, which is a part of you know an imperial you know, uh, appropriation of you know the the surface of the world and Subsurface and and everything else for the generation of, of, of profits, and uh, and that's uh, that's indistinct from 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 law and this this conflict, you know, between law and justice.
1: You write that from a criti- uh, from a critical public health perspective, the pandemic crisis, the economic crisis, and the political crisis of which mass incarceration and systemic police brutality are only among the more visible afflictions. And the ecological crisis all ultimately comprise one fourfold public health mega crisis. So, uh, you know, the easy question is, how do you see these four crises related? But on top of that, uh, what do we miss about all of these crisis, crises when we don't recognize their interconnection?
0: Well, the first part of the question, it, it's, it's really kind of hard to really separate these crises because like well okay we have you know a pandemic which seems to be in some respects the most immediate crisis you know this is just part of a much broader public health crisis that includes you know diabetes and heart disease and cancer and all sorts of other things in in, you know and air air pollution you know the air is itself a carcinogen i think throughout the world, you know, or it's the, the, the biggest carcinogen. So we have this pandemic and public health crises generally. And, you know, the pandemic, it's understood these days to have been generated from the interface of, you know, wilderness, the destruction of, of resources. And so this is kind of a result of economic activity and extracting value. Interestingly, value, the word itself comes from the Latin valere, which means to to be well or healthy. So as you extract value, you kind of take the health out of a forest, for instance, you know, to chop it down to create whatever, you know, some plantation to grow palm oil or, 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 you know, have a giant uh, cattle farm, cut it down for pasture. So you're just kind of creating this diseased landscape. And of course that value is in this, society regarded as, as, you know, money or profit, which has been concentrated into smaller hands. So you have, you know, the economic crisis, you know, which results in like poverty and devastation and disease and the ecological crisis and the pandemic, they're all in inextricable from one another. They're all, you know, where, where does, where does it begin? Right. But then of course there's also a political crisis, which is uh, also inextricable from this because the it's a political economy. The, you know, the, the economy doesn't just function by itself. Um, you know, there's a whole political global political economic system that keeps it, keeps it afloat. And and in this country, you know, the, the political system, you know, has been responding and trying to, you know, scapegoat who knows who this, you know, for the last at least, I mean, for who knows how long, but at least, you know, if you go back to the end of the cold war and the so-called new world order and this hyper capitalism, um, you know, do you have a, a political economy that's imperialistic and, and it's exacerbating ecological destruction is exacerbating inequality and is exacerbating, you know, public health problems. And, you know, it's becoming more and more of a, of a political crisis of political legitimacy, militarization of police, uh, incarceration, these things are all happening, you know, not, not just in a vacuum, but, you know, historically they're, 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 they're all happening together. So um, what was the, I, the second part of your question? The second
1: part was what happens when we do separate those, what do we, what is missed about all our crises when we do not recognize their interconnection?
0: Well, I mean, that's just, that's just, you know, such, this. That's how ideology functions—to you know, atomize people and to atomize issues and to separate things and to look at them a-historically and to look at them as natural phenomena or you know inevitabilities. Like, oh, that's just human nature. People are bound to, you know, plunder. You know, they'll they'll talk about the tragedy of the commons, which is such a easily refuted ideological thing, but it has this this authority Oh, people will say, Oh, the tragedy of the commons, it just happens. Well, if there were really a commons, you know, people wouldn't just have land in common, the the cattle would would be held in common too. Way more things would be held in common, you know? So like where, where are these parameters being drawn, how things are being narrowly construed and separated. So, which just leads to a kind of confusion um, about the, the nature of, of this, this crisis, this uh, civilizational crisis, which is not uh, a bunch of discrete crises. And, and then, of course, you know, what people just chase after one, miss the other. It's not being properly contextualized or framed. And, and then, of course, it's not going to be adequately addressed. And some new scapegoat will be found to distract, you know, people or, you know, at least distract any type of, Narrative from arising That adequately addresses the problem
1: Well can we address the Problem by only Addressing one part of the problem How much success are we going to have Unless we view these As all one big crisis How much success can we have in Fighting climate change or Fighting against the pandemic or Ending inequality or police violence Or mass incarceration how much Success can we have when we don't See these as one problem
0: Oh, exactly. I, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's nothing, it'll be nothing but, but a failure to, you know, inhabit or to understand the world that we, we inhabit and a failure to adequately respond to any of it. You know, I was, it's funny. I was reading about the Silesian, uh, like typhus ap- epidemic in the mid 19th century and, and people kept treating individual People for for you know typhus, and at the time it was sort of a novel idea that no, you can't just treat these people. You have to treat the social conditions and the ecological and environmental conditions. I don't think they used that language uh, that are generating you know these problems. So pan- we're just going to have more and more pandemics because people are still you know the system is just cannibalizing the world. It's just continuing to extract. You know everything, and and op, you know make make un- unleash these these, these uh, viruses, and as you know permafrost continues to melt and as all of these things are, are speeding up, you're gonna we're gonna have more and more uh, pandemics, and all the rest of it. You know it's, it's not really a, esoteric knowledge that inequality is greater than. And maybe ever, you know, and I think, of course, it needs to be all addressed on a global scale, not just nationally. But, uh, you know, that's that's a question for a for a global political movement.
1: You mentioned the ancient maxim "Salus Populi Suprema. Lex esto, the health of the people Should be the supreme law Which you date back to the Romans And prior to the Greeks What happens when the health of the people Is no longer the supreme law of the land What kind of political economy do you have And is that political economy Even sustainable That does not prioritize The health of its own citizens
0: Well yeah, I mean I think we're we're Living through You know, a an economy of the political economy of, of disease. I mean, that, that maxim is, has been used um, for disparate reasons. And it's been used to bolster uh, tyrannical regimes and and it's construed the health of the people to be just the health of the, you know, the state uh, or the empire. But modernly it's been used in a more literal sense to really have, an egalitarian emancipatory focus of actual health, you know, people's people need, you know, clean clean air, clean water all these, what I was listening to the article is conditions of health, like concrete conditions of health you know, I mean, the, the Nazis loved health and as people always jump on this argument and say, well, you know, you're just going to have some sort of tyranny uh, you're going to have some of the greatest human rights violations have been uh, perpetrated with the justification of pursuing some sort of health. But you know, I, I'm careful to distinguish you know forcing people or forcing health upon people, uh, and really focusing on the idea of, of conditions of health, the you know social conditions of health, having like a healthy environment, and making sure that everyone has you know, housing and food and, and all of these other things that are, are fundamental to to public health. And people can, you know, be free to reject them. I think, you know, if people want to do heroin and want to, you know, neglect, you know, eating healthy food, that's totally fine. But the, the onus or the responsibility of a, of a society ought to be to create these conditions. And I think most people would would appreciate that you know but as it is you know uh this whole economy and political economy is based on you know war and 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 disease and you know and the ideas of health that are prevalent are, are really an instrumental health that just aids this particular civilization's uh power and uh you know you know, it 'll help the grow the the armies or uh, you know the, the bank accounts of the rich, but it's not health as, as an end in itself for its own sake you know it's always the health of actually a greater disease. you're right that as
1: Dame Mary Beard, the Cambridge University professor of classics, pointed out, the health of the people should be the supreme law was used that maximum was used during the Roman Empire to pursue what beard compared to national security as opposed to anything resembling social security. How is health care, in your opinion, viewed differently when it is understood as a national security issue instead of being a social safety net? How do we understand health care differently when it is seen as a matter of protecting the stability of the state and not a social contract with the people? Um, you know,
0: I don't know if historically we've achieved a real sense of, of, of health, you know, in, a, in an emancipatory sense. When one looks at the history of, of, of public health, um, you know, modernly, you'll see, oh, the development of various bureaucracies in the 17th century, and you'll start to see uh, the development of uh, ideas, you know, like cemeteries should be moved out of the cities, slaughterhouses should be moved out of the cities, certain types of um, regulations will be, will be imposed. And and it's always ultimately done, you know, for national security, you know, the, the poor will be regulated, you know, but in order to protect the rich, you know, the poor will be vaccinated, you know, to protect the rich or the poor will be given a certain kind of welfare. I mean, even the poor laws in England, which I think it was in the 1830s, that they, that, you know, this was begun and, you know, it was a, a project that, that led to the welfare state in, in, in the UK and uh, the national health system. But this was all done really to kind of protect the wealthy from, you know, you need these poor people to, you know, fight in the, in the armies and you need them to work in, in industry and you need them to do all of these other things, serve you. So you know you have to have it, it was just a kind of a cost-benefit analysis that well it makes sense to provide this basic level of health, but this was a kind of health for you know survival or instrumental health as opposed to you know a good, the good life, Flu- the fl- a flourishing health or health for its own sake, um, which I think is a is a categorically different kind of health which you know, uh, may not have, uh, you know, maybe an ideal that is is, is unreachable Um, and maybe one can, it sounds almost utopian, uh, but then again, you know, pre-civilization, you you find accounts, you find anthropological accounts and you even find accounts uh, from explorers through the age of exploration, European explorers going to places in you know, the Pacific Ocean and meeting people who just didn't really have any health problems. And you know, this is sort of well accounted for in, 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 the, in the scientific literature of you know, pre-civilization, people not having many diseases that are endemic today, like the flu and tuberculosis and all sorts of even the common cold have have come from animal domestication, you know, but but before people domesticated animals, they didn't have to to deal with these things. And you find uh, people that lived outside of certain kinds of outside of Europe or were had eyesight that people just explorers couldn't understand. They could see, you know, with the unaided eye things that these explorers could only see with telescopes and people marveled at, at the levels of health that in some places, you know, ex- existed in other places, you know, people lived in, in misery. And of course, you know, the narrative is historical narrative of, of progress and of civilization has had to, you know, amplify some of these people's uh, conditions and then just sort of suppress, you know, those of, of, of others that would make our, civilization look diseased by comparison
1: you write that in the past where such enterprises conflicted with public health public health prevailed every time over private property rights so did we once have more rights than property and when did that change because uh, you know the way that capitalism tells the story or people who are supporters of capitalism tell the story that's the way it's always been. So when did we lose our prioritization of rights to property?
0: Well, for the most part, I'm citing a, there's a was a brief period in the in the United States in the 19th century, and of course this is highly problematic because you know you have slavery and and you have uh, you know women are relegated to the position of property, and there are all these things that are happening. But on another level, at the municipal level in in the second half of the 19th century into the early 20th century uh, when when things really kind of change uh municipalities had a a lot more power under their municipal police power to regulate uh, everything and under the the justification being you know public health so if there were somebody if someone there was a dock or a slaughterhouse or any type of uh, commercial activity or non-commercial activity that threatened public health, the, the state, you know, the, the municipality, it was usually the municipal level had the right to just, you know, condemn it and tear it down without offering any compensation. If somebody's roof didn't match, you know, it was a fire hazard or if they were storing this, you know, gunpowder or there was a, a dock that was dangerous or something, anything, uh, the the had was uh like it was various types of a- agencies were empowered to just you know tear the thing down or you know appropriate the the property and it's they would prevail over the private you know, property rights of you know the, the property owners um of course you know these these uh, types of a- activities were never done to really advance a greater human health. It was always in the interest of, you know, a a more efficient uh, type of commercial city or commercial center, you know, commercial life. So ultimately it was always, it was subordinated to a, a greater economic interest, but it was sometime in the early 20th century you had a, uh, a shift in, in, in power uh, to like a, a greater federal power. And a lot of the, uh, these, agent, these cities lost uh, power to, to the state and federal uh, bureaucracies and different uh, – it was kind of a shift, a legal and, and economic shift in having a kind of a unified – national economy that was really a result of, you know, the end of the civil war and industrialization and just a kind of homogenizing of, of all of these, these different interests. And, you know, I mean, one could go on and on about, you know, the regulation of, of meat or something like that, you know, you're in Chicago. So the whole, you know, regulation of, of of food or, or safety or, you know, the hours of a day that then started becoming uh, championed, but under different doctrines, uh, you know, people just found a, a different rationale to support having protection, you know, workers' protections than, than using this maxim or using the kind of uh, municipal bodies that would have advanced these.
1: So you write that rather than pursuing endless economic growth, pumping billions into the military, spreading war, pollution and disease across the globe and the extraction of profits, the maxim, the health of the people should be the supreme law, calls on us to invest our vast resources into creating conditions of health. And as you point out, that maxim is very egalitarian. Is that maxim then a challenge to capitalism? Can capitalism thrive while recognizing that the health of the people should be the supreme law?
0: Well I, I think there's you know I, I, as I mentioned before the, these conflicts of interest are, are intrinsic to capitalism not just it's not just in healthcare it's not just in you know whatever not it's not just in journalism or you know a corporate press but it's intrinsic to capitalism as well because you know you have exchange value versus use value and if you have you're prioritizing exchange value and profit whenever there's a conflict, profit is going to prevail uh, over, you know, whatever it is. So you're not g- going to have hospital beds and you're not going to have, you know, streets that, it, I mean, it, when, once everything is commodified as the sort of the, the, the trend is, the com- you know, the commodification of, of all public life, um, then that's it's ruled by, you know, the drive to extract value from it and not just make people work. It, it's, you know, it's interesting because modernly that maxim was used during the English civil wars and it was used to resist the enclosure of, of lands and the enclosure acts um, by the levelers. They used that a lot to say, oh, we, and, and the diggers and, and people like that that were tearing down the, the enclosures that were taking away and privatizing what had been communal common common land common property for everyone's use and then of course you know that to some degree you know they just lost and all of that land has has been privatized and turned into little little plots of, of property um of, you know and, and people's health ultimately arguably has, has suffered and when you find the privatization of all these other things, whether they're you know, just wilderness or, or public libraries or the schools being privatized. And with the whole COVID pandemic, this is, seems to be maybe it's too soon to tell how, how far it's spreading, but it seems with, with the Zoom and all of these technologies, this kind of privatization of social space is really sort of speeding up and um, that privatizing and it, it is just part of extracting profit, making money. So, and you know, that's what, what capitalism wants to do. It wants to turn everything into a commodity and privatize everything. And that's, that's contrary, just in its, its essence to public life and to like the rest, and ease and freedom from having to work uh, that health requires. So it seems that capitalism, you know, it, it, its champions will say, oh, you know, it's capitalism creates all these medical technologies and capitalism creates these higher uh, standards of, of living and quality of life and things like that. And those are always kind of very skewed uh, and selective. Examples that are being used when you look at the big picture, and the world is undergoing, you know, a, a mass extinction event, and is going to be largely uninhabitable because of these economic practices and the total uh, subordination of, of, of all life to you know, economic growth. You know, it's just kind of insane.
1: We have been speaking with writer, lawyer, and critical geographer, Elliot Sperber, who posted the monthly review article, Four Crises, One Crisis, or the Health of the People. Elliot's work focuses on the historical and conceptual construction of spaces of justice and injustice. Elliot was on nearly four years ago to the day, back in January of 2017, to discuss his essay, The Concept of the Wall, which appeared at Roar Magazine's website. You can follow Elliot on Twitter at Elliot underscore Sperber. One last question for you, Elliot, and you may or may not remember our final question is always the question from hell. The question
0: I've been been anticipating this question for a few
1: days now. So our question from hell, the question from hell is the question we hate to ask, you might hate to answer. Our audience is going to hate your response. You write fidelity to the ideals of democracy, not to mention... Basic notions of justice, neighborhood, and human decency demands that the considerable resources at this society's disposal ought to be put to creating an entirely new social life, one characterized not by the rampant conditions of disease-destroying us all, but by conditions of health beyond capitalism and the nation-state, not for profit, but for its own sake. So... Making America great again is the idea that it was great at one time and an icon of that world view, however mythical, is the old neighborhood where you don't, didn't have to worry about your kids all playing together and looking out for each other as the blacks' parents would too. Or at least the mythologized nostalgia, that's how that goes at least. How far would the health of the people as the supreme law go to, go toward making America great again, even in the fictionalized nostalgic mythical sense?
0: Well, you know, I think the notion of the nation state as such is like a pathological concept, you know. So, I I think if we were really going to talk about health and the health of the people, this would be the health of, you know, all people in the world, and not just human people, you know, but animals, non human animals, and ecosystems, forests, and, and, Rivers, mountains—you uh, know—to see a kind of holistic ecology as opposed to a, an economy or a global ecology. So I, I think the idea of America would just have to kind of fall by the wayside. You know, I mean, I mean it, you could still it could still be a geographical distinction, but as a as a political entity, and especially you know with its all of its hierarchies and all of its, its imperialist legacy and its inequalities, and its, its highways I mean, I think the very structure of, of, of the United States would have to be just really uprooted, I, I think, to hold the whole highway system and commercial air travel and, and, and all of these different things, all of the industries mining and you know the fossil fuel industry and you know, commercial agriculture all meat. You know, I mean the ideas of, of, of making America great again seem like tied up with, you know, cars and, and meat, eating hamburgers and, and all sorts of things that are, are known drivers of ecocide. And so I, I think that those those things would just have to have to leave. Would have to I think there's an incompatibility. Of course, neighborhood in the sense of a, of a social relation, as opposed to neighborhood in the sense of You know a piece of real estate or a a territory but neighborhood in sense of 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 a social relation that's closer to something like maybe solidarity or care i think that would be um you know really a a new social relation a a new type of society that um you'd see people cooperating and and not worrying about you know paying the bills because there wouldn't even be bills. You know, I think if you know you would have the basic conditions of health and mention you know, not just decoupling health care, health insurance from people's jobs, but decoupling housing and food and all and other basic necessities or conditions of health from the economic sphere. And I think this would just completely transform uh, you know the world. Maybe it's utopian and I'm sure Plenty of people would, would find it really un, unpleasant, but um, it, it makes sense to me uh, in, in analyzing, uh, you know, the the, the concept of, of health in, in in a in a very uh, critical way.
1: Well, Elliot, all that practice paid off. That was an exceptional answer to the question from hell. I really appreciate you being back on our show. People should uh, search on your name, Sperber, at our website, thisishell.com, and they can find our interview with you from back in January of 2017 when we talked about your Roar magazine article, The Concept of the Wall. And you can follow Elliot on Twitter, at Elliot underscore Sperber. Elliot is constantly posting new writing online, and this is a great way to stay on top of all of Elliot's exceptional work again you can follow Elliot on Twitter at Elliot underscore Sperber thank you so much for being back on our show Elliot
0: thank you Chuck I, I had a, a great time and I hope I didn't see, say anything too weird <laughs> no
1: but, uh, he did not alright Elliot take care okay. and I'll talk to you soon
0: thank you feel better
1: Thanks. Keeping it real, real deep in debt since 1996, This Is Hell, and if you want to help us climb out of that debt, you can subscribe to tomorrow's Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash hell, which airs every Friday at 10 a.m. Chicago time. Become a subscriber to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash hell. Get exclusive access to our weekly Patreon podcast, which streams live tomorrow, and, you know, it's podcast there shortly after. Tomorrow on Patreon, we are playing... Our 2001 interview with the late Christopher Hitchens, when Christopher Don't Call Me Chris was on to talk about his then-just-published book, The Trial of Henry Kissinger, which still hasn't happened, but should, as there's plenty of evidence to support claims that Kissinger is a bloodthirsty war criminal who interfered in democratic elections around the world, all in the name of the United States of America, and his acolytes, who dominate U.S. foreign policy, have done the same. Ever since, I'm looking at you, Hillary Clinton, and everybody else within the foreign policy apparatus of the United States. We're also sharing that interview. Yes, Henry Kissinger is, freaking, he is a freaking monster, and Christopher Hitchens knew it just before Hitchens went off the deep end with his support of President George W. Bush's unnecessary war on Iraq. The reason that we're sharing this interview this week is because I don't know why. Really not too sure. All of a sudden, Christopher Hitchens is cool again, even though he's been dead for like 15 years. Don't know what happened. Apparently they forgot about his support for the war on Iraq. Meanwhile, out of an abundance of caution, I thought it would be best if I did not do shows yesterday or the day before because of cold-like symptoms that... Could mean anything during a pandemic A friend voiced her annoyance at me Using the term abundance of caution Because it's one of those cliches That's been beaten like a dead horse During COVID-19 So during my weekly Friday Patreon monologue, out of an abundance of caution, I will explain how we're all in this together, democracy has prevailed. This is not America, calls for unity all in these unprecedented and uncertain times of our new normal. How every one of these catchphrases, the establishment media has been shoving down our throats and forcing into our eyeballs as if we are criminals who deserve to be tortured like droogs and clockwork orange. How every one of these platitudes have not only lost all meaning, it never meant anything in the first place But you can only hear our 2001 interview with Christopher Hitchens On hammering Hank Kissinger And his many potential war crimes And my vivisection of the establishment media and politicians Banal bromides By subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com Slash hell in a few minutes Jeff Dorchin will be delivering a moment of truth during this week's moment Jeff sees the upside Of the downside of success producing is Alex Jerry. Alex, do we have any more answers to this week's question from hell?
2: Uh, Yeah, we got a bunch. So we are more than due for a new mass cult movement. What is their whole vibe going to be? Hick F says, sixth day Adventists after the storm of disappointment. Martin S says, I don't know, but goats are over. Tyler R. says at this rate, probably O.J. Simpson starting a sacrificial polygamist <laughs> sex cult that worships baby feet and <laughs> believes Charles Manson was actually the second coming of Christ and Jared Kushner is his true son and thus heir to the throne of God and that Trump should still be president because why not?
1: <laughs> Who said that again? It was
2: Tyler R. All right, Tyler. Owen J.G. says pigs in blankets. <laughs> Jamie K says dubstep ghost dance either that or weed fueled paranoia which is much better than QAnon or Christian apocalyptic paranoia because it is because one is too lethargic to do any harm to anything much more than intimidating than a tub of ice cream. Adam K says Posadism but for fascists. What is the next vibe (laughs) of the uh, cult movement that we are overdue for Jeffrey D says what makes you think we're even close to done with the current one it's going to swell bigly and crowd out all challengers. Martin F. says, deciding where to aim their Jewish space lasers. (laughs) Kurt E. says, Gordon Gecko meets Portlandia. Uh, Richard N., producer Richard N. says, the vibe will be in the form of Beats. Swatch Internet Time is the old slash new revitalized cult of the future. (laughs) Jeff G. says, a cosplay Bolshevik pyramid scheme full of hipsters and hot takes with Kashama Sawant as their mascot. I think that already exists. Gorilla G. says, toe shoes with socks. Oh, boy. (laughs) Austin RM says, The worship of a new holy trifecta of kombucha scobies, CBD gummies, and Himalayan salt crystals.
1: I had to look up scobies.
2: It's a thing that floats on the top of a vinegar mother, right?
1: I will tell you after, Jeffy.
2: Bruce B says, Back to the Pleistocene. Daniel EC says, "Cute anime girl personifications of various epidemics." <laughs> That's really good. That's so disturbing. Uh, what is the vibe of the cult that we are overdue for? Like going to be uh, a spazzy F says, "Not wearing face masks," <laughs> and a couple more via Twitter. Uh, our Kool Aid is sugar-free, dairy-free, and gluten-free. And if you order in the next hour, we will throw in our guide to starting your own franchise. That's from Neil C. <laughs> Max H says, "More Superman than Batman," sadly. Hypocrite Reader, who, by the way, uh, Hypocrite Reader has a new issue out. That yes. Is tr- tr- tremendous. I've been reading uh, every night a uh, new essay. It's wonderful. And they wrote, hearing good things about this Antichrist guy. <laughs> and finally, Adam B. says, next-gen synthetic drugs so tasty that you forget the exploitation. Then, when you remember, have no fear for a small th- monthly fee. There are even better ones. Subscribe today at www.patreon.com slash podsaveamerica to get started. Well, who uh,
1: answered an anime emojis of pandemics?
2: Uh, that was Daniel E.C.
1: Daniel E.C. All right, I just want to make sure we have uh, the best answers. Another end of the world is possible. This is how I know you have Hefe on the line.
0: One, two, unify!
3: The burden of our success. Welcome to the moment of truth, the thirst that is the drink. I don't know if you remember this, but last year in the middle of March, everyone was all abuzz about this COVID 19 virus. In the early days of the terror, I felt hopeful. Humanity was shutting down, people were wearing masks. I wouldn't have to see faces, I wouldn't have to fight traffic, the world was going out of business. Cops went on killing black people in the USA, causing breathtaking protests here and around the world, but that was the only outdoor activity. Everyone else was shuttering shop, boarding up and battening down as if preparing for a hurricane. It was like a snow day for the whole world. I liked it. Those early days were like a miracle. I want them back. Going outside to do anything was like being Killian Murphy walking through London in the early scenes of 28 Days Later people had some sense, at least here in Hollywood. As many as could manage it stayed home as much as possible. All the calcified neocortexes denying the plague were self-segregated down in Orange County. It was like a beautiful dream. That's how I remember it when I'm feeling wistful. A few days ago, Ted Cruz, that Portrait of King Flabby Habsburg, victimized in a failed restoration by a well-meaning but talentless old Spanish woman, cited his insightful analysis of both Marvel and DC movie and television productions, asserting, to the left, people are a disease. I don't know how he figured out that I represent the opinion of the entire global left, or how he came to represent... Humanity as disease, but for once in his life he's not as wrong as his daily decision to get out of bed in the morning. Ted Cruz is a disease and must be eradicated, and he does represent not his geographical constituents, but his psychological constituents. Whether he believes in the election fraud delusion he peddles or not, he represents those laboring under that delusion, and as much as I pity those gullible rubes, I also hate them. Can't help it. They spout such outlandishly stupid opinions with such psychotic vehemence. It's impossible for a rational human being to avoid indulging in fantasies of bludgeoning their foaming physiognomies into a paste. Saying this out loud doesn't flatter me, I know. But all that is small potatoes. Yesterday's news. Old hat. Old potatoes. And yesterday's small news with an old potato hat on. To paraphrase last week's moment of truth, discussing detective shows, exorcism dramas, and moral lines beyond which lies the pale, I've got bigger fash to fry. Fash browns. Talk about old taters. Old dick-taters. Allow me to put the current delusions of followers of our current would-be dick In the swiftly receding perspective of the convex rear-view mirror, forget the current children of the fash fad. Forget those dictator tots. Open the field of condemnation wider. Be generous in denunciation and magnanimous in disdain. Observe business as usual. It stinks. Everything, darlings, stinks. Oh, here and there, heroes beat back this or that miserable regression to barbarism. The movement for restorative rather than retributive justice has made a difference. Likewise, the movement against cash bail, carceral capitalism, rampant over-imprisonment. I applaud the Dutch and their Amsterdam donut. The movement towards renewable energy, the evolution of a worldwide humanity that recognizes inclusiveness beyond petty distinctions of race, gender, nationality, and the myriad meaningless labels under which we bicker. The universality of money belief is well on the way to dissolving those distinctions anyway. Destined to leave only the inequality of economic power, the final frontier of discrimination and domination. It just seems to me all too little, all too late. We've destroyed too much. We allowed violence and war to root themselves in our business as usual a long time ago. They show few signs of withering, and the signs we can point to are limited and ephemeral at best. So, not to be a downer, but the human species needs to start planning for its retirement. Remember... It was nostalgia for the good old days of the pandemic that brought me to this pass. Remember the sparsely traveled streets. Remember the precipitous drop in mass shootings. Accentuate the positive. Eventually, our success will be our undoing. I say eventually, although we can all clearly see where our domination over the land, sea, and air have already eaten away our facade of civilization. The carbon cycle, the climate cycle, The ocean and air currents are transforming under the burden of our success. And it's business as usual that pushes us further out on an already cracking limb. The worst case is if our ability to produce enough food to feed ourselves fails. Even if we somehow find it within our power to unsnafu our wasteful system of food distribution, which appears doubtful. Oxfam was around before I was born. We've been fighting hunger to little avail, at least all my life. Now with the planet's climate systems reshuffling and our will to pursue a humanized agriculture that doesn't abuse the soil, failing in the face of concentrated corporate ownership of land, we're all but assured to see famine on an unprecedented scale in the decades to come. We're already seeing climate-driven migration and wars and the nationalistic violent reaction to them. And whatever the urgency to do so, we just can't seem to stop burning things and spreading toxins everywhere. But let's assume this is just a phase that eventually will have exhausted the Earth's ability to sustain a, a global human civilization, even exhaust our own ability to reach each other, with enough energy left when we get there to throw stones at each other. I see the great human species dwindling to tribal islands scattered across the limited humanly habitable areas of the world that remain. Just imagine how relaxing that will be. If we're very lucky and our large scale disasters are limited in scope and number between now and the middle of the next century, we can look forward to a very pleasant gradual die-off of our species. And looking forward is generally something I don't like to do, so this is a nice change of pace. This has been the moment of truth. Good day!
1: I'm looking forward to being unconscious again in about 17 minutes. Oh, that's gonna be excellent. <laughs> it's gonna be excellent. Yeah, I've I... sl- I've slept for 24 of the last 48 hours.
3: Well, good on you. <laughs> Sleep is great, man! You know, it's real. these are relaxing times, Chuck. These are relaxing times. Chuck, I want to give a shout out to the, um, I know I don't get a vote in this. Okay. But the, uh, the caveats answer to the question from Hal, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh Personality Disorder.
1: Yeah. That's a pretty good one. Who is in charge of that caveats account anyway?
3: I don't know. Who is
1: that? <laughs> I don't
3: know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Incidentally, the, the the how do they
1: still have an account? You really got to wonder how does caveat still have an account because it's clearly not somebody's name. It's not like they go by a single name like
3: share. It gets it gets about one view every week. <laughs> it's very popular considering all the all the accounts that don't get any views.
1: <laughs> so Jeffy, while I was having yeah. fever dreams the other night, I kept having this dream over and over again. I would wake up and I would still have Mm -hmm. this thought in my head, I'd go back to sleep, the dream would start, the same component would show up in a completely different dream, and in my fever dreams, I kept having the numbers 49 or 4.9 and 44 or 4.4 flashing in front of me at all times, so I'm thinking about playing the over in the Super Bowl.
3: I don't see how you can go wrong.
1: (laughs) Because every time I've had a (laughs) dream with numbers in it, I've made a bet on it and it's lost miserably.
3: Well, yeah. Why don't you bet against yourself? Short yourself. (laughs) There you go. Short your betting strategies. All right. That would be, be let me just say, Joe Tex recorded or released an album called Joe Spills the Beans with Look at Them Beans on it about three years before Johnny Cash released his cover.
1: Oh, so he was somebody who was in the 50s?
3: No, 70s. Oh no, kidding! Oh no, kidding. seventy-five was looking them beans.
1: Oh no, kidding! I thought that Joe Tex was somebody from a long time ago for some reason. It sounds like a real old-timey country name.
3: He's kind of an old-timey guy, and is just in
1: personality. All right, Jeffy. Until next yeah. week. What? Stay beautiful. Okay. Live from Landstone, from the Potawatomi people. This is Hell, Alex. Do we have any more answers to this week's question from Hell?
2: Oh yeah, sorry, uh, I missed my button there. Okay. No, sorry. Uh, we gotta get you a bigger bun. We're due for another mass cult movement. What's their whole vibe going to be? So this is all via Twitter. David I says cannibalism, but with good flavors like tiramisu, schnapps, and bazooka gum. That's just racist. Eat fart sixty nine, old friend Eat Fart69 says, Five G Mafia. I really hope you guys get some money or some Patreon money from this question from hell. Uh, keep keep hoping. Eat Fart Sixty <laughs> Nine. A cult FTN says Minion Death Cult looking pretty good. Skull user says, the church of, I want to speak to the manager. (laughs) Uh, The left isn't divided, the center is, said, I'll be down for the Francisco de Goya revolution. Todd J says, alopecia coterie. (laughs) Soy boy of the deep says, not social ecology, sadly. Soy boy of the deep? Yes. Uh, Dan B, uh, listener and uh, CEPR friend, Dan B says, cool pick. Is that from CPAC? Because I posted a photo of... A goat when I was just looking up (laughs) cult things, people sacrificing something to a goat. Rainbow R says, we're still in this one, and posts a gif of dancing Trump. Uh, Don W says, I think we already know. Let's hope it doesn't end in death camps. What is the whole vibe (laughs) of the next cult going to be? Scene says, have you not heard of QAnon? Caesar R says, eco-vegan socialism's next logical progression the animals eat Europeans. I like that. Rainbow R says, uh, posted a gif of some lady from the Trump administration. I, I say yelling the best is yet to come. Uh, Thomas RB says war with Iran. Fred B posts, uh, who's that guy from the, uh, the guy with the pipe. That is not very specific. I'm aware. uh, mean Bob? Yes. Gee, damn. Good one, Good one Chuck. Uh, Bob, I know yes. him by his first name. That's okay, cool. I'm not totally f- up on uh, the ch- uh, cult of the...
1: Church of... Uh, what was it? Can't even remember.
2: Yeah, so that a lot of people are probably mad. To that. Yes. Uh, and then finally, uh, Ethan uh, posts uh, an image of uh, a video of artists united against the apartheid singing their Sun City song. Brucey says, Luddites... <laughs> And Alopex the Wanderer says, oh, now is definitely time for Discordianism to really kick off. (laughs) Anarcho C says, trusting the plan. And finally, Balzac A says, it's just Q. It's hearing people pretend it's something other than a death cult. Oh, two more. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Mario G says, have you just woke up from a coma? I guess everyone's (laughs) mad that I'm not thinking QAnon is a cult. And finally, uh, Soray says, QAnon is still going strong and I think it covers many cults, including the evangelicals. This is like the cult of all cults, as it encompasses so many forms of pathological lunacy that they can all be sick and crazed together in that circus from hell.
1: Now I want somebody to invent... a discordian as a musical instrument like something like an accordion that's just beat up to hell maybe you could just take an accordion take a sledgehammer to it and then all of a sudden it's a discordion,
2: maybe it's so, uh, the church of the subgenius there sorry, you go sorry everyone who's mad at us there I, st- you I, I still don't understand what it's all about
1: uh, well you do know somebody who is a minister in the church of the subgenius who that does... doesn't help me
2: understand <laughs> <laughs> No, neither does he <laughs>
1: so uh, the answers I liked the most were Austin saying the worship of a new holy trifecta of kombucha CBD gummies, and Himalayan salt crystal. SCOBY, by the way, stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. I apologize for even sharing that information with you. Jeff saying a cosplay Bolshevist pyramid scheme full of hipsters and hot takes with Shama Suwant as their mascot Yeah, again, that cult already exists, but sure, that sounds good. Kurt saying, Gordon Gecko meets Portlandia, which was fantastic. Martin saying, I don't know, but goats are over. Pete saying that it will be, the new cult will be focused on being horny, very horny. Daniel saying, cute anime girl personifications. Of various epidemics, we're due for another mass cult movement. What's their whole vibe going to be? I also like Tyler saying, at this rate, probably O.J. Simpson's starting a sacrificial polygamist sex cult that worships baby feet and believes Charles Manson was actually the second coming of Christ and Jared Kushner is his true son and thus the heir to the throne of God and that Trump should still be president because... Why not? Now, if we were giving the announcing this week's winner based on the number of words written, sure, Tyler would have won. If Pete wasn't part of the staff here, of course, we'd consider horny very horny as the answer. But, Alex, do you have any of these that you particularly like? I know which one I like, but I want to I like uh,
2: Daniel's personifications. Exactly. Of, uh, exactly. This exactly. an anime e-girls yes very cute
1: funny. anime girl personifications of various epidemics is this week's, our favorite answer to this week's question from hell. Daniel, you have won whatever you want, whatever part of our merchandise line that you would like. Just go to thisishell.com and click on support. Congratulations. And all you have to do is just contact us with your mailing address and which piece of merchandise you want, and we'll get your prize out to you ASAP. My answer to this week's question from hell is... We're due for another mass cult movement What's their whole vibe going to be? I'm going to go with death cult As in mortuary cult As in the kind of cult That is centered around dead people Sounds cool and gross at the same time And I think there's a band by that name So why not? Thanks to everybody for sending in your answers To this week's question from hell Special thanks to Adam B And everyone who joined us on Patreon And has supported This Is Hell Over the past week Go to thisishell.com And click on support To... Show your appreciation for completely Listener funded This Is Hell Again, thanks Adam B. for your incredible support We start every week's live streaming Shows here at ThisIsHell.com with Alex Revealing this week's hangover cure This week's hangover cure is udon noodles In chicken curry soup Thanks to this week's guests including Peter Bloom And Carl Rhodes who co-wrote The Common Dreams article Beware corporate democracy washing. You can follow Carl on Twitter at Prof. Carl Rhodes, and you can follow Peter on Twitter at P. pbloombk. And thanks to today's guest, writer, lawyer, critical geographer, Elliot Sperber, who posted the monthly review article, Four Crises, One Crisis. You can follow Elliot on Twitter at Elliot underscore Sperber. Talk to you tomorrow on Patreon when we will be playing our 2001 talk with the late, uh, kind of great, Christopher Hitchens on his book, The Trial of Henry Kissinger. And I will be turning apart all the dumb cliches that have been posed upon us by the media and politicians since the pandemic began. But you can only hear all that by subscribing to Patreon. Subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash Hell. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap tooth radio show, podcast, live stream host, Chuck Mertz, producing this week's show, Alex Jerry. Thanks to Alex. Thanks to Elliot. Thank you so much for listening. There's only one way to get over all the problems that we've introduced to you on this week's set of shows. That's by sitting down in the lotus position, turning your palms toward the sky, focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead and saying the simple words,
3: everybody's stupid. My demon is on my butt. Uh. My demon talks to me in profanity like a sailor. And my demon tries to knock me down.